Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. The world moves way too fast. And we're all so busy, it's easy to get lost in the chaos of the news cycle. So let's slow it down. I'm Tamara Kendacker, host of the new daily podcast from Global News called Wait, There's More. We're going to take a deeper look at the news of the day, exploring new angles, asking tough questions, and talking to the people directly affected by the news. Listen to Wait, There's More for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Coming up, former Winnipeg Mayor Sue Thompson as we continue to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Pan Am Games and our farm reporter friend Harry Siemens. Harvest is underway in Manitoba. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Oh my goodness, look who's here. Former Winnipeg Mayor Susan Thompson. Sue, it is so nice to see you. Hi, Hal. Good to be with you. You look fantastic. Oh, good heavens. Thank you. And between the two of us, we can move pretty good because I got a new hip and you just got a new knee. Oh, yes. New knee. <laughs> Twelve weeks old. Twelve weeks old. Yes. It's a cute little thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Dr. David Hedden. There you Concordia. That's my doctor. Wow. Doctor see? Doctor Hedden is the best. He the is best. fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And a super nice guy yep. and does so much wonderful stuff outside of Winnipeg for people in need. Absolutely. And aren't we lucky to have him as we part are. of our community? Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last time we saw each other, I had a wonderful private lunch. Well, it wasn't just you and me, but it were, I think there were a couple of other people. Yeah, or, just one it, yeah, other, I think. One yeah, other, yeah. and we had lunch in your office. I think at that time you were raising uh, University funds. of Winnipeg University Foundation. University of Winnipeg, yes. yes. Yes, so I was heading up the University of Winnipeg Foundation because, like you, we're yeah. both about building legacies for Winnipeg. Right. And I'm a graduate of the University of Winnipeg Collegiate as well as the university. God bless them. And so uh, we established the foundation, and uh, you came in very kindly to hear about the uh, University of Winnipeg. Yeah, and we'll talk about the 99 Pan Am Games. That's the reason we wanted you to come Where in. Because I there Where you I go. Can? Because, of course, it's a 20th anniversary. Can you believe that? 20 I years? I can't, but it's, uh, oh, what a great time we had. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Tell everybody what you're up to. You've moved back to Winnipeg. I have. I was uh, out in Vancouver because I have an 84-year-old sister in Portland, Oregon, and a 80-year-old brother in Duncan, B.C., so I went out there for a few years just to be close to family. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I have been uh, very involved in helping raise money with uh, the Winnipeg Art Gallery for our sensational world-class Inuit Art Centre. Right. So I'm raising money for them. I'm also trying to finish my second book, and then I'm doing some speaking engagements, and then in between, I am, I'm 72 years of age, and I have time to play. So I get to just enjoy my time. What are some things you like to do to enjoy your time? Well, one of the nicest things is to reconnect with friends because, mm. as you know, when you're in public life, yeah. it's uh, it's a pretty busy time. And uh, so mainly connecting with friends and, uh, yeah. Good. Back to the Indigenous uh, thing you're working on right now. That That's something you were telling me. That's something that you've been hoping to help with and and has been sort of in the works for a long time and and now it's 
there's some interest it in it. It has traction, yeah. and it's in the ground. And yes, it actually, in 1979, uh, Richard Yaffe, who was chair of the board at the time, tried to get it going when I became mayor. Because this is a world-class collection of Inuit art that we mm. have in the vaults at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Another world-class project for Winnipeg. And so in 1992, I, when I became mayor, I went around and tried to get some traction. Couldn't. And uh, so like all things, if it's a good idea, mm. you just learn perseverance. There you go. And uh, so then around 2013, 2014, Stephen Boris, the uh, director and CEO of the Winnipeg Art Gallery, asked me if I would come in, have a conversation. So at that point, uh, I signed up uh, as an executive co- consultant. That's what I am, an executive <laughs> consultant right. for the fundraising. And of course, the the building is in the ground now and mm-hmm. it's being built and uh, we need about eight more million dollars. So could you write me a check? <laughs> I'm in fundraising, so you know. get a hold of Sue and boy, you're one of the best at it too. Thank you. You, you can generate the money, boy. And you always got to ask for it. You abs- And you don't have any problem asking for it. And they usually say yes. I've seen you in action. Thank you. You are you are fantastic. Thank so you. glad you're back in town. I promise we'll get to the games in a second, but we've got the whole half hour. We're hoping that another former mayor, Glenn Murray, will join us. We're hoping he's just late. Um, you mentioned your book, your second yes. book that you're working on. Yes. Can I play something I found on YouTube? A reading oh. of you, you reading a part of your first book a few years ago, I guess, eh? Yeah, about three years ago was when we launched. And this relates to what we're talking about today, the 1999 Pan Am oh, Games, okay. which you talk about in your book, which is still available at McNally Robinson. Yes, If indeed. people want to get it, take a listen to this, okay, Sue, and then we'll talk about it. While our three contenders set up typical wine and cheese format for their hospitality rooms, Winnipeg did something a little different. A few weeks before the bid, members of our committee had asked many bakeries in Winnipeg if they would create special desserts for us to take to Toronto. What transpired was nothing short of extraordinary. Over 30 bakeries responded, and off we went to Toronto with boxes of cakes and pastries, some with the city logo on it, the province of Manitoba crest, Others with our Pan Am Bid Committee logo, all beautifully decorated and all unique. Committee members hand-carried these decadent desserts onto the plane to go from Winnipeg to Toronto. Penny McMillan was head of Tourism Winnipeg, so Penny was on one side of the aisle. She had one seat. The next two seats had desserts seat-belted in, And then across the aisle, two seats, dessert seat belted in, and then me. And that's how we flew down to Toronto along with the team. Once at the hotel, we placed them on the outside balcony. It was December, so they would stay nice and cool out there. Our team proved to be excellent hosts. Our hospitality room superbly showcased our city and our province. Sue Thompson reading from her autobiography a few years ago at McNally Robinson. And I love that story, Sue. When I found that today on YouTube, I said, I've got to play it. We got to talk about it because it seems like so many parts of these games 
we're just done in a Winnipeg kind of way. You know, like you're carrying the pastries on the plane. We made $8 million. We did it with about without spending a ton of money. We did it on with wonderful volunteers, more than we were looking for. I mean, these games were incredible. They were indeed, and uh, so much uh, credit goes to the organizing team. And Well, when you stop to think about it, it was three mayors, yeah. uh, because Bill Norrie, of course, started with the uh, getting the, the bid, and then I came on board, and then Glenn was the mayor for the games. Mm-hmm. But it was the whole team. And, you know, when we got down to Toronto, because as you know, the rumor was for the Canadian bid, Toronto had it in the bag. Right. And Done deal. Why are you even here? Yeah. Correct. Mm. And so, of course, here we were with our hospitality room. But, you know, we had the premier and Mrs. Philman. We had all of the key people from our uh, bid team. Uh, I had only been mayor 40 days or something like this, so I was parachuted in. Yeah. And But it was Winnipeg and Manitoba hospitality, bar none. And here we were with all the um, Canadian Olympic delegates coming into our room. And uh, the premier was the bartender. Janice and I were up at the <laughs> dessert table cutting up pieces of cake, giving them Sherbrooke, Quebec delegates who swung our way. They went your yes, way. Yes, Edmonton yeah. didn't. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it was... Uh, we. One and yeah. by uh, yeah. one vote, by one vote. Oh, I mean, talk about your heart just going. Through. Yes, yes. And so why? It, why were those games? Why was it so important for us to win those games? We'd lost the Jets. I think the 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 city felt like we had kind of taken a few on the chin, right? I mean, and 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 now look at us, and we'll talk about now. But but why was it so important to get the games? Because we we needed a boost, I, I think is is the simple way of putting it. But you know, I became mayor in '92. We were in really tough times. The economy was tough. Things were tough in the city. It was um, it, it was something we knew we could do. And as you know, there is a lot of planning way before 1992. Mm-hmm. But I think every city uh, needs some kind of entities along the way to uh, whether it's the summer games or the winter game, but some something like that that just gives everybody a shot in the arm and says we can do it yeah. and and of course with Winnipeg whether it's Grey Cups it, seriously I don't care what it is that Winnipeg takes on mm-hmm. we always do the best job we do yeah no question uh, but I think the 99 games was the first big, we can do this. Timing was perfect. You know, it was um, early 90s were tough. And then, as you said, you you know, we won the Canadian bid. And then, of course, we had to go on to win the big bid Mm. uh, from Paso. And uh, and then, you know, with the Jets. And so there were a culmination of, of things whereby the games were just a, a perfect, mm-hmm. well done. Yeah. One other, uh, sure, one other quick story with me. We'll take a break and we'll come back. It's almost 2.15 now. Uh, former Winnipeg Mayor Sue Thompson is here uh, chatting with me today about the 99 Pan Am Games. Was there some negotiation with another city about the games? Give us the 99 and you can have a later games or... Well, the deciding vote was down in Guayaquil, Ecuador. And, of course, we were up against Bogota, Colombia, and mm-hmm. the Dominican Republic. And, if you know, from my perspective, I just went, well, 
it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. You know, Winnipeg will put on the best games. Yeah. But there's a lot of politics that go on in all of these things. And so uh, when the first round of voting happened, Bogota uh, was off and it was against us in the Dominican Republic. Well, I, you know, then you had a break of about 10, 20 minutes between votes. And there's 300 delegates to vote. And we're told we're in a competition with the Dominican Republic, and God bless the Dominican Republic, but Winnipeg was going to do a better job. Yeah. And then all of a sudden in this break, I have the head of the Dominican Republic uh, group lobbying me that we give up the 99 games and give it to them, and they'll and we'll take the 2003 games, and then the mayor of uh, Santo Domingo, uh, Dominican Republic, is on his knees proposing to me if I... <laughs> I'm going, what is going on? You know, if, if, if I will please give up the 99 games and give it to them, he'll marry me. And I said, well, I don't think your wife will appreciate that. And, oh, it, it, lobbying, all kinds of things going on. And, you know, obviously yeah, fun. But, right. yeah. But, yeah, lots of lobbying behind the scenes. Yeah, lots. Yeah. Mayor Sue Thompson is here. We'll take a break. Dean, we're coming back, though, so don't go away. We're talking with former Winnipeg Mayor Sue Thompson about the 1999 Pan Am Games. It's the 20th anniversary of that. You wanted to tell a story about negotiating with Mario Vasquez Rana. Tell me about this. Well, it's like everything, Hal. You know, when you're involved in a particular project, you have to know who the decision makers are and who do you have to influence. Mm -hmm. And uh, from my perspective, of course, Mario Vasquez-Lorena was the kingpin for the Pan American Sports Organization. And uh, so I had a phone call from Don McKenzie and Barbara Hawk Mm -hmm. and said, Mario's going to be coming into Winnipeg and visiting us and all of this kind of thing. We would like you to be part of the group that's out at the airport to meet him. I said, certainly. And then we'll be doing a press conference at 9 o'clock the next morning. Certainly. So uh, he was scheduled in for 8 p.m. And uh, I got a phone call saying, oh, back up. He's not going to be in until 10 p.m. I said, okay, fine. And then I got a phone call. Oh, back it up. He's not going to be there till midnight. And apparently he was known for being late. And um, so then Don McKenzie said to me, well, we're just not sure when he's coming. And I said, doesn't matter. I mean, I want to be there when he arrives. Yeah. So at 2 a.m., Mario Vasquez Rania and his entourage arrived at the Winnipeg airport, and there were Don McKenzie and I. And uh, so uh, Mario gets off the plane, and it was at that point that the relationship clicked hmm. because he, you could just see, you stayed What up. is the mayor doing here at 2 a.m.? Precisely. Right. And then, of course, I went down with them to the um, uh, hotel, and uh, then he says, well, let's talk. And I said, we have a press conference. You know, by this time, it's 3.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I said, we have a press conference at 9 a.m. And, oh, no, no, no. And I said, well, thank you very much, but i got to get home to try and get some sleep. So, I mean, I think I had three hours sleep and then back yeah. to the hotel for the big press conference but from that point on he he was always very um we always talked mm. and and a lot offline that uh, it was a very very good relationship mm-hmm he always tried to get me to, oh, Susanna, he would say, we, we need $10,000 per athlete subsidized. You you see if you can get them. I go, Mario, nice try. It's not going to work. We have a budget <laughs> for the games, and that's yeah, it. Right. And so he was always trying mm-hmm. to, oh, Susanna, we need more money. And I go, yeah, <laughs> nice, nice try. Yeah. 
Can I ask you a couple of other questions sure. aside from the, the Pan Am Games? How do you feel about Winnipeg in 2019? Well, aren't we lucky? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's like every city. We've had our challenges, and, and now I think we're just in a really wonderful spot. And if, if everybody doesn't feel they have bragging rights between the Museum of Human Rights and the Manitoba Museum and the Winnipeg Art Gallery and the new Inuit Art Center that's coming up and a football team that's going to win tonight. And, yeah. and the, the Jets. Jets. The Jets get the, mentioned all the time, but you're yeah. right, there's so much more than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So it, for all the naysayers and the doubters, because you know back in, you know, 92, 93, 94, 95, I mm-hmm. mean, oh, so many naysayers, we can't do this, we can't do that. Well, you know what? We can. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked you as mayor. Uh, I'll just say this. You were my favorite mayor. Of all the mayors I've dealt with, you were by far my favorite. It's most kind. Thank you. And I'll tell you why. Because I loved your your positivity and I loved your heart. And you could just tell when you spoke how much you loved this community. And I love this. This is my 30th year here, Sue. My 30th year. I came in the middle of a snowstorm in November. Oops. And I was like, what in the hell am I doing here? Oh. And I have gone on to love this community, love its people, and I always sense that in you. Thank you very much. Do I have time for a quick story to Absolutely. tell you what? So, in, uh, as, as you know, I had said I would be finished in 1998, and uh, so we had won the bid for the Pan American Games. We, The World Junior, uh, we had won that bid. God bless Penny McMillan and mm-hmm. Jim Downey and, and yep. all those people and everything like this. So we had a lot. The curling championship was everything after uh, I was finished being mayor. And so then I get a phone call from John Tory, and I think, and you can correct me on this, Toronto had dropped off of the uh, having the Grey Cup, and he was in a panic because he needed a city to pick up the Grey Cup for 1998. Okay. And it was just a short time period. And so he phoned me, and he says, because he was commissioner of the uh, CFL, and he said, Susan, he said, we need Winnipeg to take the 98 Grey Cup. And I said, okay, I'll ask my executive policy committee. And so I met with my executive post, and they're going, Susan, we're tapped out. You know, between the Pan American Games and the World Junior Hockey and the mm-hmm. curling and all of this, we're tapped out. We And the volunteers and, and all of this. And I said, well, thank you very much. And then they all left, and I sat there, and I thought... No, I think we can do it. <laughs> and I and the media will tell you, I never held scrums, but I got a hold of a couple of the media at City Hall and I said, you maybe want to hear what I have to say. And so, of course, they yeah. all gathered and right. came around and I said, so I have a call from John Tory, and he's asking us to do the 98 uh, Grey Cup. And I think it's a good idea. So, of course, out it went. My executive policy committee was up in my office and two minutes going, we said no, it's not a good idea. And I said, I appreciate it. And I took your counsel. But I got to tell you, I think we can do it. And uh, and we did. And we did. Yep. And we did. We did. This has been one of my favorite half hours. Oh, mine too. It really has. It's been a pleasure. I I wish we had more time, but will you come back now that you're in Winnipeg? Will you come back? My pleasure. Because we got a lot, we got some elections coming up. You know, there's always uh, I don't get into politics, but I'm happy to talk Winnipeg. Well, maybe we can talk 
Winnipeg politics a little bit. Oh, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably very smart to be that way. Uh, but it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. So good to see you again. Good to see you too, Sue. Good luck with the uh, with the knee, and thanks very much for doing this. My pleasure and, always. And thank you for everything you've done for our city. My pleasure always. All right. Uh, it is Thursday, and we're right after the 2.30 news, so that means it's time for Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? Hey, Al. How are you? You uh, said hi to Mayor Sue Thompson on the way out there. And, I did. Uh, uh, said hi again. I guess you've met before. What a treat. Yeah, we met last week, or la- sorry, last summer at a retreat, um, and uh, it was a delight to meet her then, mm. and I really enjoyed her interview with you yeah, today. Yeah, she was fantastic. I, I, I really like Sue. So uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've been remembering the 99 uh, Pan Am Games, yeah. and so I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Why is it important to remember, uh, well, I guess, maybe good and bad things? Well, I think it's I think it's how we're wired. We're wired for story and we learn from story and it's how we connect with other people by telling stories. And I think often when people sit around the table after dinner with family, you reflect on sort of the good old days and on a radio station 20 hours after 20 years after Pan Am Games, mm. you sit around as a city and you remember those good old days, right? Like there was so much to be proud of when we hosted um, those games, and it's it, it's it's a way for us to remember who we are in the best of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think when you can remember who you are in the good ways, like that story that she told about the, the different bakeries contributing yeah. to the the like handmade, well thought out baked goods for that hospitality room and mm-hmm. how that can shift, that's who we are, yeah. right? Like we do that extra special stuff and we think about how to make something special and we band together and we work together. And that was just such a, I was smiling in the cars I was driving in mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's who we are. I yeah. like being a part of Winnipeg and it remembers, reminds you and it roots you and it grounds you in the best of ways to what's really important uh, as part of your identity. Well, and I think as a community, you can look back 20 years later and remember those fun times and all the stories. And and like you said, we did those games in a Winnipeg way. Like, I mean, in so many of the interviews and stories we've heard over the past couple of weeks, you go, yep, that's Winnipeg. Winnipeg did it on a shoestring budget, made an $8 million surplus, (laughs) right? I mean, that's Winnipeg. That's Winnipeg. That's Winnipeg. Uh, Packing the pastries on the plane and seatbelting them in and... (laughs) You know, and putting them outside on the uh, in the winter so they'd stay fresh for the next day. That's and Winnipeg. Winnipeg. But I think it's also, and you sort of made this point, but I, what I was thinking about this is that, yes, we can look back and go, oh, that was fun or that was great or whatever. But it's also an opportunity to look at how far we've come. Okay. Right? You know, because, and I think we do that personally too. You go, wow, that was a good time or a bad time even. But mm-hmm. look at how I've survived and how I've grown. And now 20 years later as a community, look where we're at compared to then because we had just lost the Jets. Oh, yeah. I mean, we go through struggles in life. As I said, Mm -hmm. sometimes the memories are good. Sometimes they're not, but they serve a purpose in where we've ended up. Well, I think reminiscing is a chance to practice mindfulness Mm -hmm. where you have a chance to remember where were we then and where are we now and what can we 
remind ourselves then, like what can give us the sense of meaning and purpose from what, who we were back then. Mm -hmm. And then also the celebration of, and look how far we've come, look at all the things that we've done since then. And maybe how that was uh, in some ways, one of those touchstones where when we were, when we had a chance to host so many people in such dignified and respectful and celebratory ways, Mm -hmm. it helped set us on a course to be more successful and to do some of the things we've done since, right? And so I think reminiscing is just a really good opportunity for all sorts of ways of thinking and reflecting in ways that help us move forward even better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was, uh, I I thought that was something we could talk about today because it has been really cool over the past couple of weeks to talk to these people that were involved in the games and hear the stories. I was going through some of the audio today for a package that we put together for tomorrow. And I mean, some of the stories and everybody, you know, looking back feels the same about those games. They were just special. And what I was enjoying was that some of those stories, you hear those stories now in a way you didn't hear them 20 years right. ago, right? Like some, they're remembering and you have the benefit of the chance to reflect back and see things differently. And mm-hmm. you're also hearing stories that nobody would have told back then because some of the shenanigans and things that went on behind, it wouldn't have been funny back then. Now it's totally humorous, right? It's just yeah. really sweet to know that that was a part of what was going on. Yeah. You've got another workshop coming up. I want to <laughs> hear about that, but you had one. Tell me how that went. We had one. We had the Daring Way weekend um, last weekend and it's so much fun to see I know that when there's these people that enter the room and they're kind of all looking around at each other and trying to make polite small talk, trying to be mm. sociable, um, but it's a little awkward and stilted. And then by the end of the third day, people are sharing stories and relating to each other and have just had this opportunity to explore parts of themselves in a way that's been celebrated by other people, that they get a chance to say things and try things on in a way they haven't before mm-hmm. and notice that other people respect them for their courage. Uh, and it was just such a beautiful time of watching people say, I'm different at the end of three days than I was at the beginning. And I'm going to make my, de- it, because there's some chance for reflecting and yep. reminiscing and changing the way you see the story. Um, and so it's it's three days of having a chance to say, what, what went well back then? What could I do better? How can I remember things differently in a way that moves me forward um, and has me go forward in better ways in the mm-hmm. future? And so it was a wonderful three days with one group of people. And and then next weekend, we're going to do it with another group of people um, where people have a chance to rise strong from an experience where they tell a story in a certain way. And we're going to have a chance to tell those stories and retell those stories and retell those stories in way, ways that have people say, I'm going to be the author of the story. I'm going to change the way I remember it. And I'm going to move forward with strong with strength out of it and courage because I'm going to recognize the parts of the story maybe that I haven't recognized that celebrate who I am Mm -hmm. and that have me remember that I can do this. Mm -hmm. And several of the people were our listeners, which is very cool. And people can get in on the workshop coming up. Connexuscounseling.ca is the website. Or you can always email me, Hal, at cgob.com, and I'll pass on the info or text 204-780-6868 or call that number. We'll make sure that we get you in touch with Carolyn if you're interested in the workshop. I'm curious to know... Uh, the people that listened to us on Thursdays and they were there, like, what do they say about us? What do they say about you and your advice, your thoughts? What do they say about us? I mean, they must enjoy what we do on Thursdays because they, they went to your workshop. Well, I'm blushing a little bit as you ask, right? Because people are very affirming of the kinds of conversations that you and I have, uh, the way we talk about things that they long to hear talked about. Mm. Um, and we, you know, I talk so much about how we're wired for connection and 
So often we don't pay attention to the relationships in our lives and don't pay attention to how the relationships make us stronger, but also are really painful. And how if we pay attention to those and uh, try different things in order to improve those, that it can make a difference. And so people just enjoy being in that space where we have a chance to talk about important things um, in ways that just inspire them to think differently about their world. And so, yes, they were very complimentary and very appreciative yeah. of the opportunity that you provide um, for us to talk about these things. Yeah, and I think you're right. I, I think some of the things we talk about don't, some stuff gets talked about on a regular basis, but in other ways and other places. Mm-hmm. But some of what we talk about, no, there's not enough of that out there. And and so to be able to hear it and start thoughts and ideas and then, you know, for people to have the opportunity to sit in one of your workshops and learn more. I think that's that's really valuable. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really cool to hear that some of the people that listen to us regularly sort of went for a deep dive in that workshop and um, came out of it feeling like they had gotten even more of what they get here. Excellent. Carolyn Classen is here from Conexus Counseling. We're coming up on 242. We will take a quick break. And then when we come back, more with Carolyn Classen from Conexus Counseling. This is Hal Anderson Afternoons on CJOB. On CJOB, Carolyn Klassen is here from Conexus Counseling. Uh, we're uh, going to get to some emails and text messages and phone calls after the news at three on these uh, two fugitives. The manhunt continues uh, as the uh, RCMP are, are pulling back resources in and around Gillum, Manitoba. Now there's been a, a sighting of uh, uh, maybe these two in Ontario. Um, Carolyn, I'm curious to know, I, I, I think about a bunch of people involved in this case. I think about, obviously, the friends and families of the people who have been murdered. Mm-hmm. Couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine. Uh, then I think about the family, the families and friends of these two fugitives, these two men that are being searched for. And then I think about people living in Gillum, for example. Yeah. And how their lives have changed. And with these two still on the loose, how long will their life be different, right? I mean, they lived in a community in the past where they didn't lock the door. And and now they, they have uh, maybe these two people in their community and they haven't been found. And, and how long are they going to be looking over their shoulder, the people of Gillum, right? So just kind of give me your thoughts on all that. Well, I think what you're pointing out is all the different parties involved in the level of vulnerability that everybody feels. Vulnerability defined as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure, right? There's so much that's uncertain. It feels like there's risk, um, and um, it just emotionally exposes people. And often we just aren't as aware of how vulnerable we all are, right? That uh, there are people that got up this morning that are going to have a car accident sometime today and they didn't know that it's going to happen this morning. Like there's ways in which we are all always in vulnerability and yet most of us on a day-to-day basis can kind of put away the reality that the, we that we live with risk. Uh, people up in Gillum, people whose family members, whose lives ended and the people who have their family members being searched for, they don't have that luxury now of being sort of oblivious to the level of risk and emotional exposure in their life. They they have it full on in their face. 
And um, I think as we're those people are experiencing that sense of vulnerability, I think we ha- all have a chance and an opportunity to be aware and to be grateful for how so often in our lives we go through taking adve- uh, taking for granted that we live in a relatively safe community, that we go out for walks without really thinking about it, that I don't leave my door unlocked all day, but if I go run an errand down the street, I leave it unlocked, right? Um, during the day when I'm at home, it's often not locked because we have the ability to trust that we live in a relatively safe um, environment, a safe country. And I think it's a chance for us to realize that there are people in this world that don't have that luxury ever, that the risk of violence is high um, and that it reminds us to be grateful for the relative safety that we often have um, most of the time. Yeah, it's a story that, you know, uh, we've been following it now for over a week and it's on everybody's mind. The tension just goes, drags on and on, right? We're all looking for an opportunity to be able to exhale. Um, and when it feels like they're nowhere, it also feels like they're everywhere. Yeah. Wow. That's exactly the feeling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we think they're in and around Gillum. Are they still there? Are they there, but they've passed away? Have they made it out? Where are they now? Are they in Ontario? So many questions and it puts everybody on edge. Absolutely. Yes. And we have to recognize that it does put people on edge. People up in Gillum, I would imagine um, if they're like the rest of us and human, when you feel that level of anxiety for a full week without being a chance to relax, they're probably going to find themselves a little bit short-tempered or a bit irritable, maybe having trouble sleeping, right? They're going to feel the effects of that fear in their bodies and it's going to impact how they live their life, how they relate to the people around them. And I'm hoping that they're able to be able to name it and to be able to acknowledge when they're feeling short with their partner or they snap at their kids that they can own what's going on and um, hold space for the fact that everybody is feeling it. Let's lighten it up a little bit here at the end of our segment here, uh, Carolyn, a couple of stories. Um, women and chores, and uh, we'll also uh, talk a minute in a minute about a new app uh, that's kind of interesting. But talk, I mean, this is no shocker. This is no surprise here. Women do most of, most of the chores around the house. Well, and, and you know, I'm sure you're going to get texts from guys right now that say, not on our house, I do the majority of chores. chores. This is not a, across the board, yeah. but this is saying that as a pattern on, in general, in general yeah. on the main, that women did a bulk of domestic chores and that um, uh, in for couples that were employed full-time, women were five times more likely than men to spend at least 20 hours a week doing household chores. There, and, and I think... I was having a conversation just recently with a woman to say when women have been doing that sort of work for generations, it's just in our DNA to just do it, right? Right. It's Um, been that way for all these years and it sort of continues even though obviously we're in different times. And yes, and I think what the thing is is that men often don't know that they don't know Mm. because they've never done it, right? And when they don't know that they don't know to be angry and resentful, I don't, then they kind of wonder, why are you so angry at me? Because they don't recognize all the things that a woman does without even thinking or talking about it. Um, and certainly there are things that men do that women don't notice, right? right? I'm, I'm not trying yeah. to paint everything with a broad brush. There are exceptions, but I think it's a cue to all of us to say, what is it about your life that I don't know? Mm. What burdens do you carry that I don't even, I'm not aware of and I don't even think to ask about? Yeah. And it can create interesting conversations around the supper table tonight. Yeah. And, and and that's a great conversation to have. It's also a good conversation to have in the workplace, right? That person sitting next to you that you work with every day, you may not have any idea what their <laughs> workload is about, right? Sure. Yeah. Yes. And I was talking with a manager um, 
this week who says, there's things I can't tell my employees and I wish I could tell them, but there's burdens that I carry that they can't know about. Right. Um, and I have to keep that from them. And that's not easy. Uh, but sometimes I think they look at me and they wonder, why is this? And yeah. I would like to be able to tell them, but I'm not allowed because of the way things are, that there's burdens that other people carry. And sometimes we judge not knowing that there's stuff going on that we just don't know. Yeah. And then every once in a while, uh, a final uh, subject here with Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling. Every once in a while, you'll, you'll see that story where the mom goes on strike and she starts <laughs> charging her husband and her kids, you know, a, a fee for all the things she does. Well, there's now an app. There's that, an app for that. There's an app for that. <laughs> the app actually will keep track of the things the parent does and how much that would cost if you were paying for it. Right. The, the, this uh, parent taxi app was created by Skoda, S-K-O-D-A, and it allows parents to charge their kids for rides uh, and they can pay for it in the form of labor or chores. So it's there's this way that kids can recognize, oh, you have invested in fussing to drive me here or there. And yeah. so I will contribute back by doing this chore or that chore and I will sort of pay you back. And there's something quite beautiful about sort of the recognition because so often parents feel like all their effort in raising their kids, just kids feel entitled to have their parents taxi them all over and they feel underappreciated and undervalued. And this yeah. is a way to have children recognize it. The danger, I think, is that there's can be sort of this sense of, so I'm going to do this for you and you're going to do this for me and we're going to exchange back and forth, which yeah. kind of makes it sound like parent and child is a partnership. Yeah. And I just think, you know, that ship has sailed a long time ago. There is no fair in parenting, right? Mm. We give to our children because we chose to bring them into this world and we give endlessly to them in ways that they will never be able to repay, knowing that someday when they have children, they will do that for their children yeah. in the way that our parents did for us. And I hear your your concern about that, that. I can see where that might be an issue, but I kind of like it in the sense that kids, I think, now will go. Maybe you don't follow through and, and charge or or do the trade in, you know. But it's an in, you can say, hey, yeah, it's just a ride, but guess what? If you had to pay for it in the real world, here's what it would. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think it's back to what we just talked about with the chores, right? You have a better appreciation for what the parent is doing for you as the, as the child. Well, and, and as I often say with things, I think it's less about the app and more about the conversations that the app right. can create yes. to say, so if you're going to, if I'm going to drive you here, then you're going to recognize you're going to have to figure out how to quote unquote pay me back mm. with a chore or something. And the kids say, oh, actually, I don't want to go that much. Okay, well, that's good because then now I haven't driven all the way across town to yeah. do something for you at a, when it's really not that important to you, yeah. right? And so I think it can create really good conversations for parents and children to talk about how they work together effectively and collaboratively and be respectful of each other's time and energy. Carolyn, we're right out of time. Carolyn Klassen, awesome. Connexus Counseling. If you want to find out more about that workshop she's got coming up, connexuscounseling.ca or email or call me, hal at cgob.com, 204-780-6868, and I'll pass on the information to you. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.